0: Welcome to the Metabulous 2 Monster, Monster, Monster Smackdown, episode 32, featuring your host,
1: David, and your other host, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So we're, we're doing something a bit different this week, listener. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> um, or it'll, it'll probably end up roughly the same, but at least it start out different. New premise. We, we are gonna challenge each other to defend not very good monsters out of Doctor Who. Uh, yep,
0: that is the plan.
1: Yeah. Mix it up a bit. I think all of you fans, and even some of you non-fans maybe, will be able to think of monsters um in Doctor Who. Um Doctor Who's a lot of Doctor Who is about monsters. Monsters who just didn't really didn't really come across very well. Either in terms of their conception, though I think well, I think I'm going to veer more towards in terms of their realization.
0: Okay, um, I'm going to lean towards ones that I just don't think work well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, so again, we're, we're going to. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of monsters that work extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, Dollars. There are, there are a very, there are a few monsters that think oh. Oh dear, those monsters didn't work so well. So we're going to challenge each other. One monster from each of the relevant decades and, of yep. Doctor Who. So we
0: have five decades worth of Doctor Who
1: monsters. Five monsters each. Obviously, some decades have more monsters than others. Not really. But anyway, <laughs> I think the way we're going to do it is that one one of the two Metabilists <laughs> challenges the other Metabilis to defend a crap monster. Okay. Yes, that, that's, how, that's how it's going to work, For, right?
0: Yeah, first we'll present our argument, why we think they're duds, and then yeah. we'll have a response.
1: And we, we honestly, because to be honest, why would we? We've not, che- <laughs> we, we, we've not cheated. I don't know what David's monsters are, and he doesn't know what my monsters are. I have a little list in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, As do I. So who's going to go first? Well, yeah, who's uh,
0: let's call it Heads or Tails. Uh, tails. All right, you've won the toss. Oh, cool. All right. So you get to. So, you can either challenge or you can uh, lead off
1: here. I'm going to lead off and I'm going to challenge you, David, with a not very well-realized monster from the 1960s. All right. And my not very realized monster is, or are, because it's a race <laughs> of monsters, the Crotons. Ah. Ah. Now, the Crotons have been realized extremely well in fan fiction. And I point you towards Lawrence Miles and his whatever that one was called that had the Crotons in it. He did really, really well. Kind of completely re re energized the Crotons. Mm-hmm. However, on screen and the Crotons is a good it's a good story. It's it's a it's a classic example of the kind of, you know, Wizard of Oz like monsters doing something behind the scenes to humans without the humans knowing. I love that theme, it's great. But when you actually get to see the Crotons and they're supposed to be these amazing kind of crystalline kind of gestalt entities. Right. They're just some shuffly people with kind of like vacuum cleaner, tube arms with like uns- unsuccessful claws, you know. So
0: your problem with them is the realization of them. Their
1: realization is disappointing okay. because they've been built up to being, you know, like it's the crotons. Ah, you know, like they're in control of everyone. Uh, but when they actually arrive, it's like, well, you could probably just push them over, and then they'd lie on their backs with they wet, with their legs waving. Mm-hmm. No good. I mean, I don't know how they could have made them better and more crystalline. I would, I would, I would hope, but. Um, I love their boomy voices. That that those are good, but when you look at them, they're just not very good. Sorry.
0: Okay. Well, I think they have their certain charm. They're certainly not the A list monster of the nineteen sixties, but you know it's hard to defeat the Daleks, which is of course well, what Cybermen. right, which is I mean they were set out to be
1: the Dal- the next Dalek, right? Well, I mean, I think the sixties, like, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting now. No, go we, ahead. We, but anyway, I mean, the sixties suffers from. The, from next Dalek syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, Chumbles, I name you as possible next Daleks. Uh, Quarks, I also name you as possible next Daleks. And of course, crotons, I name you as next Daleks. <laughs> and I think uh, really what I think maybe I don't know why they misunderstood this, maybe because I think, you know, the high ups at the BBC didn't really understand science fiction that much. What makes the Daleks awesome is the writing of the Daleks, not what the Daleks look like hmm, um, no I not
0: yeah, I totally disagree i if, oh, really? without without Raymond kuzak's design uh, of the Daleks, the Daleks, no matter how well Terry nation would have written them, would
1: not have caught fire okay well i i okay i will i will I will <laughs> rephrase that um. It's a, it's a combination of what they look like and how they're written that makes them good. You can't just like, okay, they've got to be like metal-y and shuffly and you can't see their faces. Mm-hmm. And that will make the kids love them. Well, Not true. Anyway, I think, carry on defending the Crotons. So
0: what the Crotons are trying to do is set up kind of a new... They're trying to steal everyone's minds well, is what they're trying to do. Well, the they're pastors. trying to get the, the high minds or the intelligent gons to help pilot their craft, I believe, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. And crotons are pretty good from the legs up. And the legs were not seen on screen. So you're effectively having to envision these structures or these uh, creatures, these crystalline creatures um, rising up from like a a vat of acids or type of uh, mineral fluids. And where I think they get it right is they're very angular. They have that crystal line or that kind of a, a squashed diamond-shaped head. Yeah. And where they could have been better is maybe they should have been made out of perspex glass or yes. perspex plastic and more, like you say, crystalline structure. But the, the idea that... Uh, I think it was a Bob Holmes story that Bob Holmes, Bob Holmes had, I think is a really clever idea, and it's a good setup. Where I think it's let down is a little lack of imagination or maybe a lack of budget where they're too metallic-looking, they have too much uh, you know, rubber and a tinfoil look rather than the crystalline is look. It's their
1: bendy arms that gets me. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, the bendy arms are just not, they're just not effective not effective.
0: Now, do you know if they had adult actors in there or do they hire kids to Um
1: I, th- I th- there must be adult. Well, no, they wouldn't have hired kids. I think it's not like the quarks. Mm-hmm. Uh, who designed them? Because they did a I don't think they did a very good job.
0: Well, we can check on that if you'd like.
1: Who is quickest at typing <laughs> in into Google? Raymond London.
0: <laughs> Wait till you hear the other stories that he did. Ready?
1: Okay.
0: War Machines, another clunker.
1: Oh, God, the War Machines. The, oh, they're worse.
0: And the Mind of Evil with that dragon.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I, I think this is good. We've actually found, like, <laughs> one of the bad designers who worked on Doctor Who. War Machines, are <laughs> the Crotons are no good. I've already said that. And the Mind of Evil, which is a great story, mm-hmm. is seriously let down by all of the production design.
0: Well, um, the-, the
1: Keller Machine, mm-hmm. the Dragon... The
0: dragon yeah. is particularly bad, and everyone had to imagine this dragon to be much <laughs> it 's a pink dragon <laughs> much scarier when it was in black and white and maybe maybe he kind of got off the hook with uh some of these things, but the war machines and the crotons definitely are clunkers
1: literally puff the magic dragon okay so, well that 's good we've we 've excavated a fantastic piece of trivia here uh, through the socratic dialogue we 've engaged in about the crotons. I think it's your turn to challenge me.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go a little controversial here, probably on the B-list tier. Okay, and I'm going to choose the Ice Warriors, especially oh. in their debut story, The Ice Warriors. I think this is a terrible realization of a monster. We have kind of rubbery uh, tortoise shell reptiles from Mars. I think it's a very nonsensical. They have hair. They're slow and lumbering. I think it's a waste of Martians. They have Lego minifig hands. Waste
1: of Martians. Um,
0: they gesture like they're signaling touchdown in American football. <laughs> <laughs> their helmets restrict their vision. So in the scene in the ice caves, uh, the ice warrior goes lumbering right by Victoria. It wasn't until she moved that and it turned around did it catch her. eye? you know they're just. They get better when Brian Hales uses them in the Peladon stories, especially Curse of Peladon. Mm. Seeds of Death is a little better in the story, but the Ice Warriors in general, I can't believe Mark Gatiss, Well, I can believe Mark Gatus brought him back because that kind of monster, I think, appeals to him. But really, the Ice Warriors do nothing for me. I think we could have come up in the Doctor Who universe something better, something more interesting for life on Mars, rather than the Ice Warriors. And the Ice Warriors really don't have even their own name in the show other right. than the Ice Warriors. So they're slow, lumbering, nonsensical, furry turtles with the slow, the slow, that whispery is. voice.
1: Well, I mean, you are correct, because, of course, in their second outing, they they come up with a completely different design for the Ice Lord, i.e. the more kind of articulate and able to move properly ice warrior um i'm a bit disturbed by this <laughs> though i'll have to i've actually i almost wrote down i've certainly written it down mentally that they're a waste of mars uh, <laughs> which i think is a genius comment the doctor who has been saddled by the fact that the only scary thing that comes out of mars are the ice warriors and they're not that scary also well, there we w- did
0: have the waters of mars
1: waters of mars that's true pyramids of mars as well mm-hmm. Uh, And I think uh, all of those must be bound together in some kind of fan fiction somewhere. Um, But having, you know, the reptilian race of ice warriors who don't even have their own name um, live on our nearest planet is, has I think, has been problematic over time.
0: Yeah, I would like to see an alternative. <laughs> if, I, if I was showrunner in the, in the Stephen Moffat vein, I would have retconned them. Oh, no, we were actually wrong. They don't actually come from Mars. Yeah. Mars was one of their colonies or something like that. Because I just don't like the Ice Warriors. And I really wish that Gatiss hadn't brought them back in the new series.
1: Yeah, well... I've just looked up the designer of the of the Ice Warriors. That's Martin Ball. Okay. Um, who provided costumes for every Doctor Who story, from the Abominable Snowman to the Mind Robber, it says here. All right. And he's also, he's apparently his most notable impact on the, was on the development of the Cybermen, because he was the one who came up with a teardrop eye design. All right. I, you know, I... <laughs> well... I love the costumes in the Ice Warriors, the hmm. clothes that the, the the scientists wear and the uh, ice, is it the ice base, Britannica space, the Britannica yeah, space people wear these awesome kind of, you know, 60s psychedelic costumes, which are brilliant. And that it's a night nice, and the Ice Warriors, it's a nice contrast. And, you know, mm-hmm. and they are, you know, they obviously are, they are reptilian. You get this idea of a carapace like a turtle. Uh, which I guess, you, know, of course, you know, Mark Gatiss uses in the new series to where actually they're really kind of thin and agile. They just right. happen to have this armor on them. I think they were originally supposed to be kind of based on Vikings a little bit. Um, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, they're not actually very convincingly based on Vikings. Hmm. I mean, I, I think it's a bit of a low blow, David, to, 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 <laughs> to, to accuse them of not being able to see very well. I think every Doctor Who monster, when the plot demands it, is unable to see a companion. It's not just Victoria and the Ice Warriors. It's pretty much every companion trying to hide from a monster, or from anybody, actually. Hmm, but, okay. yeah, I'd, 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 I, mean, I think, you know, obviously, if you read the background to the Ice Warriors, you will discover that the, the costumes were very, very difficult. Yep. The actors found them very, very warm. Uh, What's-his-name from the Carry On movies, who played the chief? Bernard Breslau. Ice Warrior, Bernard Breslau found it very restrictive. I think Sonic right. Caldiz has been on record as saying he didn't like them either. Right. They are better... When they're just standing around, which is basically what they do <laughs> on Peladon. And it's pretty much what they do, apart from lumbering a bit over Hampstead Heath, wherever they are, um, <laughs> on uh, the Seeds of Death. Right. The Ice Lords are a lot more effective. I like their voices. I sort of agree with you on that one. Okay. Okay. Well, all right. I will now challenge you back again. All right. And we're going to really race forward in time here. Okay. Uh, in a very Doctor appropriate fashion. And we're going to go to, um, so my least favorite, or one, one of my, cha- my challenge to you from the 1970s okay. is to defend the Marshmen. Oh, really? Full circle.
0: Well, I think I'm going to challenge you on a technicality. Oh, we're, God, they're not is...
1: from 1980, are they? They are. But go ahead. Well, no, let's have a look. Full circle is, it's 1980, 1980 is the end of the 70s, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The 70s start in 1971 and they end in nineteen eighty. Okay. Yeah, technically, technically, (laughs) technically. Well,
0: okay. Since you've chosen them. I have chosen them.
1: I have chosen them. So the Marshmen, okay, A, they lumber about and they hold their hands out as if they're going to grab you. That's (laughs) to start with. Uh, They're (laughs) bald. They're super bald. They either look like bald accountants from out of some kind of Dickens series they should be like Bob Cratchit's office, kind of like, you know, you know, Scrooge's office, like leaning over ledgers with their shiny, bald heads. Or unfortunately, they also look like ambulatory penises as well, a little bit to my mind. Mm, um, okay. Um, they've shamelessly ripped off the creature from the Black Lagoon, because mm-hmm. of course they emerge from what appears to be some kind of Black Lagoon. <laughs> um, and they just wander around groaning. They've got these bald, shiny accountant heads. Uh, There's those crap spiders that are somehow involved with them as well. Doctor Who does excellent spiders if you go back to earlier in the 1970s and into the spiders. Um, The spiders here in Full Circle are rubbish spiders. So I think it's the Marshman and their rubbish spiders are my my monsters I don't like from the Mm. very very end of the Mm. 1970s.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I think for a rip-off of the Creature from the Black Lagoon, they're a pretty effective rip-off. Where I think if I would criticize them more on the writing of... Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the colonists and the Starliner are supposed to have been evolved from the Marshmen. They are? I believe so. And I think that's where they fall apart. But as a lumbering... Rubber suited monster of the early 80s. I think they're fairly effective. If you look at their design, they look sort of organic. They look as if they belong underwater, that they are kind of marshy. Where they look poor is when you put them in the Starliner, they'd certainly look like a fish out of water or a Marshman out of water at that point because their uh, rubber suits get all wrinkly they're very obvious
1: rubber suits, exactly. I mean, obviously, the the rubber suit is obviously right. quite obvious, usually, obviously. Uh, can I use the word obvious again? With mm-hmm. the Marshman, it, it does actually look like some regular men, i.e., actors, mm-hmm. wearing some rubber suits. I'm sorry. They just, I just, under the gloves, don't look, <laughs> they don't sell it to me. And, and they're stupid bald heads. It's like, look at those bald people. I mean, I find bald people hilarious anyway. Okay. <laughs> because I obviously, like normal people, have all my hair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so they're, just, they're just laughable. It's like bald people aren't scary. They're people who don't have hair. It's not, it's well. not frightening. So just address
0: your comments to metabulas2 at gmail.com. Care yeah. Ben?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I dare you, bald people. Defend yourselves. <laughs> so anyway. Well, uh, uh, yeah. Um, How uh, have the spiders? Okay, the spiders in full circle as well. Let's add those in as well. They're now,
0: awful. you think they're worse realized than the spiders and Planet of the Spiders? I think they're
1: a great deal worse realized than Planet of the Spiders. Okay. Anyway. All right. Okay. Well, that's sweet. I think it's a draw there on Marshmen.
0: All right. So I'm going to go right in your wheelhouse, right in your home turf, and pick a John Pertwee story with really crap realization of monsters, Uh colony in space, the primitives, and guardians, and priests. Oh. Uh, They have kind of green wetsuits, strange masks. The green ones do. The brains, the little short guys have an obvious wrinkly brain, and then their ruler is a puppet with a head stuck through uh, <laughs> through a black curtain. <laughs> I think they're kind of an offensive design. The designer Ooh. is either trying to play off uh, African tribes people yep. or Native Americans. Okay. They're, I think, Mac Hulk does them no favors with their spear carrying. They're mute. They're telepathic. They're there. Solely to be um, a MacGuffin for the why the master is the adjudicator, going after the doomsday weapon. Mm -hmm. It seems very cliched. The tribal primitives, and they call them primitives, are uh, mesmerized by the doctor's sleight of hand magic. They're there for him to take on with Venusian karate. Hi, <laughs> you have the cliche of the helpful, trained, primitive working with the guy keeping the uh, power plant going. It's just offensively uh, realized.
1: Okay, well, <clears throat> offensively realized. Probably guilty as charged. <laughs> okay, I mean, I know you know one of the one of the kind of story uh, models that. Um, colonial space is working off is the Western with the with the peaceful colonists and then the kind of the black black hatted gunslingers coming in trying to take their stuff. And of course the mm. the Exerians themselves are the Native Americans stand-ins. So yeah, that's if you want to read it in that way, it is pretty offensive because they exhibit all of the traits of um Native American people as depicted probably in the 1920s in movies so yeah i'd agree with the uh, you know if you want to view it as a western then they are the worst kind of western movie
0: well it's even like african colonial that as well yeah in some ways however i
1: i did not see this story of course until it was released on dvd i certainly didn't see it in 1972 and it was one of my very favorite of the target book adaptations um it's the story itself I think is fabulous and I've always really enjoyed it. I actually think it's one of Matt Hulks better stories and all of his stories are genius. It's got some mm-hmm. great realization in. I think I've already waxed lyrically on this podcast about um the t- the Time Lord files which are kept in the Time Lord filing <laughs> the Time Lord filing cabinet um because where else yep. would you keep your files than in a filing cabinet?
0: The master has a whole roll of file cabinets. That's where the files artist. are kept.
1: Not on a computer. <laughs> they're kept in a filing cabinet. Um, um, I, 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 I kind of find the realization of these really disturbing. And in a good way. Hmm. I think they're kind of green spandex suits. They're wet suits. And they're kind of blobby, wet suits, and yeah. they're kind of blobby, kind of elephant men heads with those weird nostrils. Mm-hmm. Uh, weird eyes, yeah. Yeah, they're just really disturbing. And I think the... Mm-hmm. They obviously, as you said, you know the the midget king, just call him that, um, <laughs> which is basically a man sticking his head through a black curtain and then having puppet arms and legs, is also really really disturbing. Um, I was just watching an episode of you know, that the comedy program, Mr. Show, it was on HBO um, mm-hmm. with Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, and they did one of their sketches had someone that was in a hospital bed that was just like David Cross's head and then kind of puppet arms and legs. Really, it's really disturbing. And I, it adds to the sense of strangeness and otherness and just weirdness about this episode as a whole. So um, I think they're pretty They look alien to me.
0: Well, perhaps the novelization is better realized than the story. But in the story, we have the doctor saying things like, Um, Their science has deteriorated into a rather primitive religion or a lunatic religion worshiping machines instead of gods. For this super civilization that developed this doomsday weapon, there isn't a lot of invested in making these, quote, primitives very sophisticated at all. We have this, the excuses that they've been genetically engineered into this priest class— Yeah, that are the the short guys. And I think that the suggestion that they had this high culture is done a little better with uh, Terry Nation and Death to the Daleks. Daleks. Even even then, this is an idea that's kicked around a little bit in the early 70s. And I don't see it working.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a total Eric Von Daniken, you know, your Chariots of the Gods kind of rip-off, which was obviously, you know, completely, it's, you know, that was the thing that was going on in the 70s. Yes. And I think, yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, the Exelons do it better. Um, there's, a, there's a bumper sticker. A st- little bit. There's a bumper sticker <laughs> for you. Exelons do it better. <laughs> uh, but I, I,
0: I, I Put it this way, they do it less offensively.
1: Less offensively. Um, but, I mean, if we're going to stick purely on the costume design, though, Um, it's, 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 it's Aitchison, isn't it? Who's, who's designing these? The designer is Tim Gleason. Oh, Tim Gleason, Really?
0: Costumes by Michael Burdell. So I'm guessing the costumes for the primitives were Michael Burdell. Interesting. Michael Burdell.
1: Michael, my Michael Michael Burdell. Yeah. And the mining machine isn't very good either. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I mean, I think the costume design in general is pretty good for this show. Um, I do like the IMC costumes, I think I've said before. They're kind of, you know, pervy and, and interesting in that way. But, yeah, okay, I'm going to hand it to you, this one. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a high point. Not a high point. All right. All right.
0: On to the 80s.
1: On to the actual 80s this time. Um, I'm going to just <laughs> slam dunk a really obvious one to you, and, and you're not going to be able to really defend this, and I'm going to go with the Magma Beast
0: the magma
1: beast the magma beast
0: oh in uh out of caves the caves of yeah
1: well it's <laughs> it's the magma beast it doesn't really have a name it's a beast and i guess it lives underground where magma is so it's called a magma beast it's 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 one for the dads if dads liked monsters
0: rubbery mouth well, the Shrivenzel is a little more better realized oh, Shrivenzel
1: is fantastic. <laughs> I mean okay, so there's a succession of kind of you know one for the dads, if dads like monsters, um mm-hmm. monsters in the eighties, you get the srivenale, um, you have the Tar and wood beast, um <laughs> and of course now, well, those we,
0: are the seventies. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, okay, all right, you're right. That is the 70s. Anyway, you do get these kind of you know monsters that kind of leap out like, we're monsters, and then they just go away again.
0: So just out of curiosity, why would you choose the Magma Beast rather than, say, the murka if you were looking for kind of the rubbery, poorly realized pantomime monster?
1: Because the murka, I think, has transcended itself. <laughs> it is, It's so awful that it's kind of transcendently... You know, it's a pantomime. You know, it's it's a pantomime horse, and it's so ineffective. Um, I mean, the whole. I mean, all all of the costume design and monster design actually in Warriors from the Deep is bad. You know, the the sea devils decide to dress up like samurais. The Silurians have those really silly little mouths that are even more silly mm-hmm. than their original mouths. However, the Merkur is just, it's it's so awful that I said it just transcends awfulness and becomes genius. The Magma Beast is just such a kind of like, what, where's that? And then it's gone again. It's only there because everyone thinks that well you know the producers the producer wasn't really paying attention as usual believed that every doctor who show has to have a monster in it so even though the case sort of are,
0: like what we have today
1: <laughs> exactly the, uh, the yeah because you know the case of ziony which is a grim festival of action movie grimness and cliches is suddenly kind of and then we've got to have a, a, a man dressed up as a as a monster run in and then run out again.
0: So in defense of the Magma Beast.
1: Okay, all right. <laughs> Defend the Magma Beast, if you will.
0: All right. The director, Graham Harper, did an excellent job for what he had to work with. And so we have this man in the big rubber uh suit being the Magma Beast, but he doesn't have it overlit. It's always in darkness, it's always in shadows, we don't get a full view of it. And so it's more of the suggestion of a monster rather than a full-blown Fisher King-type monster that we've had in Under the Lake.
1: Oh, right. But why is there a monster there at all? I mean, I think that's one of my other question.
0: Well, the reason why there's a monster is to provide an obstacle for the doctor to get the... Uh, Queen Bat. The Juice. Queen Bat Anticdote. Um Caves of Andersani has other flaws with it, but this is this is probably the easiest thing to pick on it. Now... One of our favorite artists, Daryl Joyce, did a really great redesign of the Magma Beast. And you can see that on his website. And it's more of a large uh, dinosaur-looking type beast rather than a bipedal man in a dragon suit. So it has captured the imagination of artists. It's inspired people to to do better. Okay, and it is it is the weak point in a, st- um, a strong one of, story. one of the fan in one of the fans' highest rated stories of all time.
1: Uh, but I'm also picking up slightly here, David. It's not one of your highest rated stories of all time. Uh,
0: absolutely,
1: it is not. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, excellent. Well, maybe we should we should shell that thought for another time. <laughs> hey, this is a good idea for another podcast. We should we should like stories that fans think are good that actually aren't good. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm going to lay on you here my okay. 1980s pick and it's I think the 1980s has a lot to choose from so it I went does. for probably the most unmemorable monsters in all of 1980s the plasmatons and the xerafin.
1: Yeah, I actually can't even remember what they look like. Um they're a, they were a bit like gel guards, weren't they? Yeah, well, here's my notes from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the plasmatons are from uh, Both are from the story Time Flight Which they is uh, Peter Grimwade authored Eric Sayward uh, script edited story No point The doctor describes them as Protein agglomerations Random particles assembled from the atmosphere So okay whatever that means I have them as a low budget Cross between The gel guards <laughs> And ogre with legs That blow bubbles
1: yeah, yeah, I'm, Yeah, I, they're, they're, they're very hard to defend. I mean, I think in their defense, and I mean, I think I can remember at the time, even though I was probably too old to really believe it was going to happen, I remember having a slight frisson of excitement when I saw them because I did think that they may be related to the jail guards, in which case mm-hmm. this story may have heralded the return of Omega. <laughs> Sadly, that wasn't going to be the case. Omega would come back in even crapper form um, later on um yeah uh, next season um <laughs> for some reason living in amsterdam as one does as one does just like <laughs> time flight for some reason has concord in it
0: so the other monster in time flight is rather unmemorable too and it's even lower budget they're in silver shiny shimmery bodysuits with a mask with black lines kind of painted on them and those are the Xerophon, and we see two of them, and they're low tech crap monsters worthy of Star Trek.
1: Yeah, it, you're good to re- you're smart to reference Star Trek. I mean, I think apart from the Concord piece, which is a mm-hmm. another piece of disaster altogether, Time Flight has a very strong Star Trek vibe to me, um, <laughs> and it's that is definitely revealed in the quality of its monsters, which is extremely low. And um, they're really undefensible. In fact, you know, uh, without having quickly to Google them, I'm not even sure what either of those two things look like, to be honest. Um, uh, <laughs> again, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure plasmatrons look a bit like gel guards. They do. Um, Zeraphim, I'm thinking, maybe look a little bit like um, um, the Vardens. Uh, like mm, the Vardens no. in their silvery form.
0: Now, nah, these are just guys in. Uh...
1: Silver suits.
0: Uh, silver body suits with... Uh, like Trevor Horn in the buggles. Yeah, just <laughs> crap masks. <laughs> and that you cannot pull up a visual of them. Just shows how unmemorable they truly are.
1: Yeah, I mean, we should, are we going to name and shame who designed them? Or are we not going to bother? I can't even be bothered to Google <laughs> them, to be honest. Let's move on. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> they were no good. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of how... The, I mean, the time flight could have be been improved in very many ways. Um, the main which of which is just get rid of Concord.
0: I don't know. I think the Concord is the only thing really interesting going for it. If they would have had a better use of Concord. And in many ways, the whole story is a really poor remake of the Faceless Ones. Good point. Faceless Ones are really sophisticated. They have the disappearing airplanes. They yeah. have kind of the little uh, set piece with... Uh, getting in in trouble with the authority at the airport. It's just poorly done. But the Concord is actually interesting. I think they could have done something more interesting, maybe just set the entire story on the Concorde. I mean, you could have had the Concorde be hijacked and taken to outer space. That would have made some very interesting visuals. But putting it back into the Cretaceous Cretaceous Age or Jurassic Age or Pleistocene or whenever it was... And trying to land on this rocky ground, and then taking off, and then yeah. The point
1: is. The point is the monsters the mon- are no good either. The <laughs>
0: monsters are no good in this story. Yeah, all. yeah,
1: and I think I, I, I mean there's too much going on. You know, I mean obviously the spoiler alert: the master's in it. He's got these weird aliens he's hooked up with. There's a concord. It's a it's the usual kind of mid '80s mess, and I totally yeah. agree with you.
0: Well, so we move on to the revival. To New
1: Who. Um, so I'm just going to throw one out. There are a lot of, I think, of sadly, uh, I think in the first kind of, you know, years of, of New Who, that it did struggle to kind of come up with new monsters. But it didn't understand how difficult it was to realize monsters um mm-hmm. and i think there was an overconfidence in the uh, abilities of both cgi and also advances in costume making to realize proper monsters um see
0: i ignored cgi cuz the the lazarus monster is <laughs> pretty horrible but since it's a cgi monster rather than a practical effect i um, oh, ignored okay. it. well I'm But not... go ahead if you want if you that's you know what well, okay, what, so the monster, what do you have the
1: monster i'm throwing out and it this is actually it's a, it's a kind of monster of the week monster, and okay. I and I don't und- it's it's it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me plot wise um, how it comes about. But it, but I'm going to go with the krillotane. Who? Yeah, because they 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 are mainly I think they're totally CGI, aren't they? Which which um, means they don't appear very much because they're expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They do that kind of roaring thing that CGI monsters always do. They kind of open their mouths and go ah at you. Um, you
0: know, I am totally blanking on them and which story they're in. So you're going to have to...
1: I'm going to have to... You're going to have to, use, <laughs> to, have in, to reference... School reunion. Okay. Um, so the point of school reunion yes. is to reunite the 10th Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith. That's right. the point of the tale. So And, um, and think, to
0: show Rose what happens when you fall in love with the Doctor.
1: And to show Rose what happens to Companions... After they've stopped being companions and right. you know, when when you have a relationship with this with this alien, what happens after he dumps you right that's the point of the story so the ze mm-hmm. so the the are i mean it's the there they are actually actually called the <laughs> so the the Krylatane really they're only there to provide a kind of modicum of plot in order the characters can perform the plot so that we can understand their relationships better. Mm -hmm. It is great to see Anthony Head in Doctor Who and he does an amazing Mm -hmm. job as the evil headmaster. Yep. I'm sorry that he didn't come back as something else because he's a great actor, big fan of his. Mm -hmm. The Krillotane and their weird plan are almost completely incidental And their designs are also, the design of them is also completely incidental.
0: So they had several manifestations in action figures in like the early wave, wave one and wave two. Did you pick up acrylatane? I
1: do have acrylatane. They had, I think, three separate colors of acrylatane. Um, One color of acrylatane was enough for me because I didn't really (laughs) like them at all. Um, I like their special goo that they use to fry chips in that makes the children their slaves. Good idea, but they're silly kind of like we are devils faces. Right, their M.O. is that they take on the attributes of the races that they conquer. Okay, mm-hmm. so every time you meet a they're different because they've taken on a different set of physical attributes from another conquered race. Mm-hmm. Um, that could have made for something really interesting looking, a kind of really kind of mongrel creature. You know, almost in the vein of the Morbius monster from Brain of Morbius. That's an exciting idea for me, how they're actually realized, um, their actual designs, they look like just sort of goofy devils.
0: Do you think there was a lack of confidence on RTD's part by having to have a monster in School Reunion? Um, Do you think he could have written a strong enough story with just Sarah Jane bumping into the Doctor again I think, and dealing with Rose? I think there
1: has to be a villain. Okay. Um, and I think Anthony Head is a superb villain. I guess it may have got too close to being the master, but one could have mm-hmm. certainly have envisioned the villain being Anthony Head as a kind of, you know, the demon headmaster right. who has a plan to use children to crack some kind of code that he needs to open some kind of vault so that he can take over of the universe.
0: <laughs> Welcome back us all. <laughs> uh,
1: exactly. I mean, I think mm-hmm. you're completely right here. The monsters are in this because everyone thinks kids like monsters and, you know, dads and kids. They probably do. We do like <laughs> monsters but we don't like to be pandered to and i really do feel that these are kind of pandered monsters i think they are completely cgi i think they learned from the disaster that was um uh uh, uh you know the raxacoroco people um hmm. i've forgotten their names <laughs> that was
0: well the the family of the slodine the
1: slodine that's it i can remember the planet which is raxacoroco <laughs> but i cannot remember their actual names so i mean the krultains they just it just feels like a gesture they're like okay we've got to have some monsters quickly someone like knock up some things that look like kind of goofy devils and that'll do. So anyway, Frillatane. Hmm. Mm.
0: Interesting. Like for me, I, they, they obviously didn't register <laughs> on three, your- a deep, Deep imprint, and I think that's a lot to say of the monsters of the early RTD eras. Now, the Slitheen definitely made an impact on me, and I, I can defend the Slitheen. I think they have their purpose, but the like you say, the Monster of the Week, the Krillotanes, totally unmemorable for me. I remember Anthony Head, I remember K-9, I remember Sarah Jane, I remember Rose being jealous. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did not remember the monsters at all. And I
1: think, you know, if you'd been slightly, if you'd been more confident of your product, and I'm not blaming, I'd, RTD can do very little wrong in my book. Um, I think you could have written something that would have just eased out those monsters and just amplified up Anthony Head. He could have had some minions. They could have been, They could have been Ogrons. Or something, you know <laughs> well that probably went to work it's been about the Um anyway so uh, David what's your uh, first decade of the 21st century monster
0: well I'm gonna go a little bit controversial again Uh-oh. and I'm gonna go with the Toclofane.
1: oh I know you don't like the Toclofane.
0: absolutely cannot stand the Toclofane.
1: why don't you like the toclophane
0: I think it's a betrayal of Ooh. the show itself oh my god because doctor who I think is generally supposed to be an optimistic Hopeful show. Sure. And the Taklafane are trying to show this is the ultimate end, the ultimate destiny of humanity, where there's no hope in the year a hundred trillion. Anything good about us has been entirely eked out and we have just cold hate killing machines of fun. And RTD gives the master a line saying the human race, the greatest monsters of them all, which is, you know... Pretty harsh. I, I have no quarrel with that, but I think it is an abandonment of the hope and the optimism of the show itself. And I think it crossed over a line. I think Doctor Who works best when it's optimistic. And I know the Doctor towards the end when he is having, you know, the Tinkerbell revival where everyone is clapping their hands and believing in the Doctor... I'm saying, tell me the human race is degenerate now when they can do something like this. I don't think RTD earns redemption for what I see as a betrayal of the hope and optimism of the show. And I know he wants to get the stakes really high, but I think the Toclofane were a bad idea and shouldn't (laughs) shouldn't have been done. I think there could have been another way.
1: There should, there should have been another way. Um, I, w- I find it very hard to argue against that level of passion, David. Um, I mean, I would, I, I would say um, <clears throat> that um, if there is a flaw with um, RTD, and obviously, you know, he does have his flaws. Mm-hmm. He does have a problem with stakes, and uh, you know, there is this the uh, uh, a kind of ridiculous raising, and I think raising of stakes is actually it's a cliche phrase, but it's actually a very good phrase. But, um because it has a level of ridiculous ridiculousness to it in using that phrase that kind of really kind of talks about how ridiculous some of RTD's plots are in terms of stakes raising. He always wants to kind of just go one one step beyond. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just the way that he writes. I do enjoy the realization of the toclophane. They are kind of gross and scary. They're kind of evil, chittery little little balls from the future. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Weaponized proboscis. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, I think Doctor <laughs> Who has never really addressed. It's it's addressed the the beginning of time um, mm-hmm. uh, on a relatively regular basis. Yep. But I don't think the show has ever really committed itself to the end of time in a proper way. <laughs> and I think um, I think we're stuck here with Monster of the Week, the central conflict in this two-parter that, that ends that season is between the Doctor and the Master. Exactly. The stake that is raised is the Master wins, which is, you know, a good high stake to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a... I think, I think the Toclophane as being, you know, this kind of ultimate corrupted fate of mankind is a, just a stake too far. Um, and mentally, in my kind of, you know, mental picture of the series... I've kind of placed the tocraphane in some kind of alternative version of the human race, <laughs> some kind of future thing that doesn't didn't actually really happen. Um, I think I think I read interviews. Well, of, which which is, which is wrong, I know, but I mean that's no. I, I was just saying I think
0: Doctor Who is a multiverse, and it is a very plausible option for the fate of humanity. But there are, since we are in a multiverse, and there's ultimately parallel paths and whatnot, and there is not one straight continuity from point A to point B. Just what's
1: great about the show? Yep.
0: So there are alternative futures for humanity. I think the choosing of this particular. uh, fate for humanity is depressing. And I think it's, a, like I said, a betrayal of the optimism. That's generally what I think of yeah. when I think of Doctor
1: Who. And again, I mean, it's not true. I mean, they're not truly needed. I'm um, Obviously, the, the the Master needs to have minions.
0: Personally, I think it would have been a lot better if he corrupted humans. He right. he he bought them out like yep. the Stanford prison experiment. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, it could have been done.
0: Humans have been horrible to each other. We can just reference back to the last century with Pol Pot or Stalin or Hitler.
1: Or who any number of horrible people.
0: And I think it would have been a lot more effective if it was everyday humans doing the master's will to build these rockets to build this giant global fascist society rather than these (laughs) boogeyman, which is the Gallifreyan word for boogeyman, toclophane, toclophane, these cyborgs, these children, cannibalistic children of the future. It just doesn't work. And I think it would have been a lot stronger story without the toclophane and without doing Dobby Doctor. I think there's some things there that work really well for RTD. But I I sometimes get the idea that he latches on to the first idea, and the first idea may not be his best idea, but he's always under so much pressure or um, time constraints or procrastination. Self-imposed
1: procrastination, yeah, yeah.
0: Right, that sometimes he just has to go. Go with it, and that's why I think, like, the first series series one is a lot stronger than the second series because he had decades to think about what he's going to do, and that's why series one has so many strong stories. But um, we kind of get the sophomore right. jinx yeah. with series no, no,
1: two. I'd agree with that. I mean, I think. Um
0: well, but this is from series three so
1: <laughs> yeah um i i think uh, as far as i remember the toclophane is something actually he would thought about for a long time i think well they I, were
0: going to be the monster in the dalek they were going to be the be dalek, the monster and dalek
1: if, if nation to nation's estate had continued to be dicks and not letting them use <laughs> the daleks but um no i i i'm I, i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to race, okay. sort of concur with that one yeah
0: i mean the the I mean, RTD had done bleak with uh, Cassandra, which was the last human in an alternative continuity of humanity. There you go. Um, wasn't quite as bleak and as horrible as the Toqlaphangs.
1: But they could very easily have been something else. I mean, I think I think we didn't need need to have the stakes raised to such an incredible extent that these these kind of giggling balls of weirdness um, were the final fate of. of, of of mankind they could have come from anywhere in the universe really yeah,
0: it really didn't even matter i will they i think they were unnecessary i think it would have been a stronger story if it was everyday contemporary humans being cruel sadistic murderers rather than to show that this is their our, our ultimate fate so yeah, yeah. Okay. anyways moving on agreed <laughs> moving swiftly
1: on okay so from the second decade of our current century I give you da, da 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 I give you the maya. Oh,
0: okay. So the Norse gods in big <laughs> welding helmet armor.
1: Yeah, um so I don't like this one okay. for um many reasons. The chief of which I'll have to say is um uh, again, we're stuck here with with monster of the week. Mm-hmm. The point of the girl who died is in the title. Right. It's about setting up me um, Ashildir, whatever she's called, as being a recurring character in this season. That's the, uh, that's the point of the story. Um, right, we're stuck with monster of the week. We, for some reason, and I love Vikings, and the Doctor doesn't spend nearly enough time hanging around with Vikings. But the Vikings, again, you know, uh, they've got horns <laughs> on their helmets and i read an interview with the misbegotten writer of this episode who said well you know we thought about giving them not giving them horns on their helmets because but because everyone thinks vikings had horns on their helmets um, we just thought we'd put horns on their helmets. When everyone yes. knows yeah. the Vikings didn't have one, it's so irritating. See, yeah,
0: well, I don't really care. I mean, there's electric eels in it. And there's electric eels in it, and, the, uh, in it and they, yeah. they
1: don't exist in Norway either, See, or Sweden. I, I don't Urgh. have a... And then I really the so I'm just going to finish with... with I haven't even gone off, <laughs> I don't like the Maya. They have this ridiculous kind of, you know, fiberglass metal armor, and they stamp about, and they're just being monsters of the week. Um, I know Odin in real life only has one eye, so, you know, that's accurate. But it's a bellowing mess, and the monsters just look <laughs> silly. I mean, they they stamp around in the silly way that, that the Jadun do, but they do not have the charm of the Jadun. They just have the irritation of being monsters of the week.
0: Well, Doctor Who hasn't done Viking tropes very well. I mean, we had the Vikings in Terminus with the Gorn and the guardians of terminus um probably the best vikings we had was in the time meddler space helmet for a cow so, so we had horned helms again
1: <laughs> vikings do not so, have horns on their helmets sorry but
0: but in the maybe in the doctor who world it does uh, they do. Oh yeah,
1: I guess so maybe <laughs> in the alternative. So yeah, but the, I mean
0: they are the monsters of the week. Did they really need to exist? Maybe not. I think if you're going to have the girl who died and you're going to play with viking tropes, why not have a shoulder die by an actual dragon rather than having a the psychic energy being redirected of her storytelling presenting a dragon to scare the mire blah
1: blah blah yeah
0: yeah i i think there's more things that you could have done with it that because the whole point of her dying was to her sacrificing herself for her uh village and then the doctor giving her immortality and then what was the consequences of that there could have been a different way of killing her off effectively I think, it's, I think it's just kind of lazy,
1: it's, it's kind of lazy writing. I, that's what kind of irritates me is that, is that we're just a little bit more thought and probably just a little bit more time. So maybe it's not laziness, it's neither pressure of a very high pressured, high profile production just maybe another kind of week or so of you know editing and refinement of the script
0: now do you think it would have been uh, you would have been more on board with them if they would have been a little more close to realism as we know it for the historical record
1: I would have been a lot more content with the girl who died if they'd they'd, they'd, they'd bothered to do actual Vikings so just take the horns off the helmets that's not what Vikings look like that would have really really excited me because i love vikings you know viking the society of the medieval um scandinavia is fascinating um Mm -hmm. and it's a a great place to do stories the viking the scandinavian mythology is a great place to make stories so i forgot to say you know i mean there's there's marvel got like decades of stories that weirdly have to be based on kind of (laughs) viking mythology Uh, you know this is a great place to make stories and i think doctor kind of failed and it's really its first attempt to like play with vikings okay. and and i'm not going to forgive them for that i'm afraid
0: <laughs> well it's their not their first it's their first in the new new returning series that's so. true well I, again i mean well okay the, actually it is their first with actual vikings not just using viking tropes so, yeah and yeah, i, I I'm, I'm just, to, just to just be
1: super pedantic the the production design for terminus that's technically Anglo-Saxons rather than Vikings. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, it's based on the Sutton Hoo helmet, which is uh, which is about a thousand years before. Well, six, seven, eight hundred years before the Vikings turned up. Anyway, all right, okay. Your final attempt to <laughs> convince me, though you've convinced me pretty well so far.
0: Well, I'm going to go with uh, the showrunner's creation, one of Stephen Moffat's high concept monsters. And my choice is The Silence.
1: Controversial choice. Um, why don't they work for you?
0: Well, Moffat's inspiration was with Edvard Munch's painting The Scream yep. meets The Men in Black.
1: Scream meets Men in Black. Perfect. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: The Silence are retconned in the time of the Doctor to be a priest who uh, you can't remember for confessional purposes with the papal mainframe. And they they just I they just <laughs> don't make sense. Their plot holes or their inconsistencies are explained in an info dump by Tasha Lem. I'm uh, not a big fan. Well, I rate pretty low the Impossible Astronaut. Yeah. The whole idea that the Silence were manipulating humans to build the astronaut spacesuit so that River Song could emerge from a lake in Utah. I think this is a high-concept Moffat monster. He started out with these with the Empty Child, with the Gas Mask Child. He had a stroke of brilliance with the Weeping Angels in Blink and continued on to develop them. But he has these concepts for monsters, and the concept is, well, what happens if you have a monster that you forget about the instant that you take your eyes off them? and they shoot lightning bolts from their fingertips. fingertips yep. And and I think it's Moffat tries to get away with the same similar kind of concept, again, with the Whispermen, yep. with the Great Intelligence. I think those were underutilized monster. I think they're a lot more interesting than the Silence. I think they're one of the excesses of the Moffat era, and they are exemplar of... All concept. No substance. Not really any substance. Not really any point of going in there. And then they have some kind of uh, uh, power to kill people when they're wearing the iDrive, which uh, Madden Kavorian was wearing. And they're pretty much a single season monster. with a. And they're brought back with the papal mainframe, which kind of uh, the solve with the info dump.
1: I mean, I, I essentially agree with you. I mean, I think, I think they're realized nicely. I mean, I think the costume design is good, but, and there's, there's, but there's a big but to that, very big but, which, which I'll come on to. I think the first thing to say, and I, I, I think I, I, I said I, I essentially agree with you. I mean, I think one of Moffat's kind of script writing tricks is to think of a thing that you would think of and turn it into a monster right so okay crack in the wall okay all walls have cracks Mm -hmm. okay let's turn that crack into a monster um charles game of not blinking okay that's cool let's turn that into a monster Mm -hmm. something that you forget as soon as you see it you forget what it is okay let's so there's a there's a kind of an an obviousness even down to i think which is probably the most egregious example From the last series, which is, okay, you know that stuff that is like in your eyes in the mornings Mm -hmm. when you wake up? Let's turn that into a monster. Well, that's that's Mark Gatiss though. That's Mark Gatiss, but you know that's Mark and. Well, I think Stephen. that's Mark
0: trying to follow in the footsteps of Moffat. Really. I mean, I would
1: hope what it is is actually it's Mark trying to satirize Stephen. <laughs> I don't think he dare do that, but I mean, anyway, could be. That's that's maybe the maybe the way <laughs> I explain that away. So again, you know, this is a standard way that Moffat, like you know, staring at his blank screen, is like, "How am I going to do something here?" Let's, and that's let's...
0: why I don't think we really have any good yeah. Moffat era introduced monsters that are going to last beyond the Moffat era. I'm trying to think of one that isn't one of Stephen Moffat's high concept monsters that are going to return.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm I'm going to come on to the, you know, the kind of a second point that I have about Moffat. I mean, I think one of the keys to under, one of the many keys to understanding Moffat, because actually it's not that hard to understand is that he's a fan and he's not only a fan in in a kind of fanish way, but he's actually a super fan, um, and he his approach to writing the show is the approach that a super fan has. He's basically his script writing method is retcon. Right. So you just set up all these things mm-hmm. that 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 are cool, and you don't bother to think about how they're going to fit together. You think, okay, I'll just retcon that at the end. Right. And all fans sit down. They look at Doctor Who, they look at all the contradictory, um, you know, fates of Atlantis, Mm -hmm. and they have a lovely time creating something complex and unbelievable that retcons all the fates of Atlantis into one simple narrative.
0: And that drives me absolutely bonkers, because I think that totally misses the point of having a multiverse.
1: Exactly. And I think this, but this is what Moffat does. Mm -hmm. He sets up all these contradictory things without and, th- and just retcons and, and i'm using retcon as not a it's a way of writing right and it's one of his main ways of writing and that papal mainframe dumb in in time of the doctor is it's a retcon of his own writing he's a man who retcons himself mm-hmm. right which is i'm afraid just not good enough right that whole season is is a is an absolute mess And the idea that you have like a story arc, a story arc is great, everyone loves a story arc, but if it doesn't make any sense, then there's no point in having it.
0: People who defend Moffat will say, well, all the clues are there, you should have been able to work it out. (laughs) You know, it's, it's that you're not quick enough, or you're not smart enough, or you aren't paying close enough attention to find all the hints and pieces that Moffat had sewn through his stories. And so then a year later, he has to come back and explain to you slow oh, yeah. viewer or a year and a half later. I uh, mean, here's Tasha Lem, a I'll, I'll quote, uh, the Kavorian chapter broke away. They traveled back along your timeline and tried to prevent you ever reaching Trenzalor. They blew up your time capsule, created the very cracks in the universe through which the Time Lords are now calling. It's it's a big info dump. Yeah, I know. I'm
1: totally agreeing with you. It's
0: sort of like, okay, these are the silence. These are breakaway chapter. You should have picked that up. And uh, they blew up your TARDIS trying to prevent you from... Um, getting back here, and that caused crack, and... the crack. But
1: there's, see, there's no way you can pick that up. the that that plot that is described in a couple of sentences is is not present in the earlier stories. The things mm-hmm. that make up that retcon are present, but that that the plot that you've just described is is just it's it's vanished retcon. It's as if um someone you know was looking at all these disparate Elements in earlier stories that make no sense and desperately trying to work out a way to have them make sense. Now, the irony there is like Mm -hmm. this is the same guy who's writing this. He's trying to make sense (laughs) of junk that he's already written. You know what he what he should have been doing? He should have been writing sense in the first place.
0: Well, so those are our picks from the (laughs)
1: Those, those are big <laughs> <losses>. uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed them as much as we did. <laughs> if you have any interest in what you've just heard, the Doctor Who is fabulous. Um, it, it's all it is good. A, it's all yeah, good.
0: It is, it's, it's a target-rich environment if you're going to pick holes and things. I chose the Bugaboos that I personally find problematic. Probably the hardest one to choose was the 1980s because it's not really one uh, era that i think of for the monsters.
1: no. well again I, mean, I think this is a general you know this is this is a problem you know with with it's the mon- monster of the week is a i think is a serious problem that doctor who keeps falling itself falling into mm-hmm. and you know unfortunately the you know the counterpoint to monster of the week is you know story arc monster of the season and we've just demolished that one so you know, I mean, doctor, it's it sounds like an easy show to write for. It's mm-hmm. I I I don't think it is it's as easy well, as, as it sounds.
0: Neither you nor I have had any success uh <laughs> writing no, for this show. Uh, no,
1: I the... really I, I mean I come back to this a lot in my thinking about who. <laughs> I, I I really would I don't know why the production office of TV who I don't why, I don't know why they don't pay more attention to some of the really, really great tales that Big Finish come up with and how they make those satisfying. Obviously, you know, making a radio show is far easier than making a TV show. But um, well, I'm kind of frustrated by that often. Anyway, well,
0: maybe maybe Nick Briggs will succeed, be the successor for Chibnall.
1: Oh, my God. Nick, Nick Briggs would explode if someone said that you were now the showrunner of Doctor Who, you'd die with joy. Um, so that that's probably never going to happen.
0: All right. You want to close us out?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not going to do a, a monstery voice. I'm just going to say um, <laughs> that was episode 32 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which starred Monster of the Week, me, Ben, and Monster <laughs> of the Week... Oh, me, David. Mwah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, so... I very much hope everyone who listens to this enjoys it as much as we do making it. But anyway, um, have a great night. Goodbye. Yep. Good night.
0: Thank you for listening to the Metabilis2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, that's a number two, at gmail.com or on Twitter at metabilis2. And again, that's a number two. Hope to hear from you. Bye.
1: This is going to be the best episode ever. It's just us typing. (laughs)